Right. Maybe like Doug and what is it? Uh, the Bob and Doug McKenzie. Yeah. Well, it's going now, and today is August. No, it's a July. Sunday, whatever that is. No, I think it's like July twenty eighth. Is it? Or twenty nine. It's almost over. That. Wow, that's a bright, bright billboard thing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Like too bright. Well, we're coming back from. Can you hold it? No, yeah, here. We're coming back from. Where the hell were we? Boontube Comics Day. You did a signing. And then we did Middletown. And then we did Middletown, the radio station. And now I'm looking at some very bright billboard thing that my eyes are wincing. So, end of summer. What's the topic for today? Oh, the Quentin Tarantino movie. Why don't we do that? We could. Would Quentin Tarantino make a good superhero movie? Well, he's supposed to. He's talking about Star Trek. Star Trek. Yeah. I think he's got enough geek. I mean, he also he was a comic fan, so he worked in a video store. I thought. But he was a comic book guy too. He was a comic fan. I remember that he added in. Uh, don't you remember? Was it? I forget what movie it was. Crimson Tide or something. He did like a Crimson rewrite. Tide. He did a rewrite of something, and he added in like some uh, Silver Surfer references. Yeah, and I didn't stuff. know he worked on like a mainstream movie. Yeah, he did some some story uh, script rewrite. editing. Or yeah, was it a Tony Scott movie or something? The one with Gene Hackman and Denzel Washington. I think so. The, right, okay. Yeah, I, mean, I didn't he, know he did he that. Made money with script. See, I was thinking of just his Pulp Fiction and all those movies. Yeah. That's it. Does, I think he would. He would. He probably knows superheroes. He'd probably be good. Well, his at, movies are very visual. Is he yeah. like a comic book guy? I don't know. He could, Imagine he seems he did like the spirit. I could picture him doing the Punisher. You could. Yeah. Really? Could Why? You? Because he's got that, he's got a good handle violence. on violence, but he yeah. also has good characterization. I think. I don't know. I don't know. But he's which Punisher you're talking about? You're talking like the Gareth Ennis Punisher, where it was over the top, or no, like I would go with the, the classic the, stuff. Stephen Grant, the, that kind well, of. See, I don't think those were as violent as that. Oh, no, speaking but they of violent, build man called Savage. Oh yeah, you saw Gil Kane. Did you look at it? I had no. I wasn't there. That was oh, a oh, shot. Oh, I said, let's yeah. go to that guy's shop. I had the 82 reprint, right. which was like a greenish cover yeah. that had him beating up stuff. But I, I didn't realize the original cover, he basically drew Lee Marvin. I don't know who painted that. I don't think it was Gil. Oh, it wasn't Gil? No. Oh, but I it saw it. Like, I did a double take. Yeah, it was Lee, Lee Marvin. Marvin from, what was the... Dirty Dozen? No, no. There was a movie he did. Detective movie? Um, yeah, I can't remember it now. It really? wasn't like Hard Target or... Not Hard. That sounds like a... That sounds like John a Clint Claude Eastwood. Van Damme. No, that is a John <laughs> So no, I didn't realize that. Yeah, no, he did. Uh, he did a couple of. Lee Marvin did a couple of gritty. Uh, there was one that was, shoot, it's it's like a template for the uh, Tough Guy movie, in that Lee time Marvin. frame in the, in the late seventies, early late sixties. Huh. Yeah. So what was Gil trying to do? Just a, an adaptation of that, or he wanted to no, do his I own think book? Were, or, yeah, I think was that a graphic novel? It was. In early, was that men's magazine? Yeah, it was more like, but it was like a graphic, early graphic novel, really. By the way, what he was, was trying. These guys were always trying to, to work around because they never made money in com- comics. What was there was this? no royalties. They had no stake in any of this stuff. Kirby did it in the fifties with Joe Simon in the forties. Oh, 50s, those headline comics, having their own comic company. Yeah. People have tried it. Ross Andrew did it too. What was this? I heard these guys were writing books, like Sally Forth. They were writing for the armed forces guys, oh, so there'd be Wally some nudity. Wood. Yeah, yeah. Wally yeah, Wood, I didn't, didn't realize that. Didn't you? Didn't you ever see the reprints? No. What is this now? They Sally did books Forth. for the, the armed services. Yeah, there was. They a, were like adult the, news, the newspaper. Yeah, 
and because it was mason I mean I guess it was majority was men right there was a lot of TNA really yeah oh I didn't know that uh, Wally Wood did Cannon and I remember Sally Forth and both yeah. of them were like adventures where the characters Half would naked. be well no they'd start out with clothes and then they would lose their clothes no within kidding. the first couple of no I never saw any of this stuff I oh, just yeah. heard about it the other day and I was like Sally Forth what is that they've now? reprinted them I think maybe Fantagraphics reprinted them in a nice uh, trade paperback. Out in the sixties, but Wood also collected them and printed them himself. But when he was doing Wits End, he also did like a volume, a couple volumes of Can and a couple volumes of Sally Forth. No, no, but yeah, give me a year. Sixty, late sixties. Oh, okay. Yeah, early seventies. I never knew about this. Was well, he the only one doing it? Wally Wood did Wits End. Yeah. Which was self-published. He was trying to reach comic fans. Right. Before, I mean, comic fandom was organized since the 60s, early 60s. What was 60s. that Hollywood book I picked up, which was called, like, Heroes, Inc.? Yeah, that was, uh, Heroes, Inc. was another one I think he was Black trying to Boy. do on it's his own. Tower Comics or something? Well, I think Heroes, Inc. was also, he packaged it entirely himself. Oh, really? He was like, I mean, he was kind of the guy who would probably thrive in the direct sale market now which didn't exist then. yeah he would have been an image guy because really. he was working through mail mail order which mail is mail order yeah oh so normal comic shops wouldn't call stock there was no comic no shops. there was nobody bought you had, you had to go through the mail so people really? who were Wally Wood fans would buy Wits End for example and Wits End would have anything from Wally Wood stuff and to what, Steve what are, the press, stuff. what are the press runs on these things limited like I don't know but it was a couple couple bucks an issue Oh, they were. Yeah, that's pretty pricey for the late sixties. Yeah. 60s. Well, when I was, a, I think I was talking about this. Were they I, magazine size or yeah. like comic book size? No, they were more magazine size. Plus, huh. they also didn't have the comics code, obviously. Right. So Ditko did his early. I think Mister. He did Avenging. Mister A. Yeah, he did Mister A, but it was Avenging World and things like that that he wound up doing as oh, a no, self-published thing. So this is all Ditko working with Wally Wood. Well, it was Wally Wood publishing right. and saying, "Hey, I have. I'm doing this. Do you have any stories?" That you can add to it. And what, wait a minute, now was Dicko doing like the TNA stuff too? No. I can't imagine that. No, no, but it was the idea that he could do what it wasn't necessarily a comic code. They're very interesting. Are they? They're the beginning, that's like the indie type of stuff, right? No, but are they detective stories or is it all just this philosophy and Rand stuff he's got? Is that what this all is about or? Objectivism. They're they not really still, stories. They were, were kind of a cross between, like, Mr. Mr. A was not all just diatribes and, and yeah. speeches. Yeah. Um, they were yeah, that's what I'm saying. Stuff. That's they were not, doing stuff that was like, okay, we can't do this for Marvel and DC, but hey, if no one's paying us, we are gonna we can do this for ourselves. Yeah, I just couldn't imagine somebody wanting to lose those horses going by. Yeah. I couldn't imagine somebody trying to read a book that's just all about religious but it, fan, know, metaphysical like, stuff. Fanzines and fan culture started in the 60s. Right. I mean, if you actually... I don't know if you've ever, you're aware of it, but like we were talking like about Jim Warner Starlin. Books. No, we are yeah. talking about Starlin and, and Al Milgram. Right. They worked on something called Star Studded Comics, was which was a Star fanzine. Reach? No, it was a fanzine. No, kind I don't of know trying what that to is. be a more a fanzine's like a homemade I know what comic. a fanzine right. is, yeah, but I'm saying so they were they came out of Texas and um, Jim's from Texas. No, no, the fanzine came out oh, of Texas. Oh, oh, oh. But it was like basically an avenue to do your stories and get them to an audience. Really? So Star Studded was I think Did the guy Did they pay the kids for this or they were just drawing right in and mailing and they I have no it? idea if they got paid, but mostly huh. fanzines didn't pay you. You would do Why stories. Would you would do stories, but you would you would 
he wanted some place to publish them. No kidding. Maybe I'll ask Al about that. Ask him about Star Studded. But I he, will, um, I will. he and Starlin both did, and Star Studded was Buddy something. Buddy, what's Claire? his name? No, it was a uh, the guy. He had a, te- a comic store in Texas. I don't know. I'll think of it. Lone Star Comics. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Buddy something. I, I know of Buddy Lone Saunders. Star. Buddy Saunders. Okay. He's the one that ran the ads in the comics. Yeah. Yeah. I so so you can look those up online and find them. And they're early work by guys like Starlin and Wow, and that's, that's interesting. I never knew that. Yeah. And I, I started getting into fanzines in the early 70s. You would send your own stuff in? Well, I did. I started... Um, I would buy them, basically. First, mail there were things order, mail order. Yeah, there was a comic uh, fanzine that was done like a professional with a nice cardstock cover. Oh, it wasn't like a mini called Phase. I think it was Phase One, and yeah. it had a Neil Adams story, which is the, the really? story that Neil did. I think it was the story with the guy who was the Texas book depository shooter. It was a uh, the guy who was Oswald? like picking. No, it was a guy. Not I guess. Oh, the Austin, guy, Texas. Yeah, one? yeah. It was a guy shooting people at the from, tower at the University of Texas. Right, right, yeah. right. And and Neil did a, a something about there. him. Yeah, there were like stories people would do for stuff. It was almost an anthology. Wow. And I remember paying five bucks for it in nineteen seventy three or four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember my mom. Like, what and are it you was reading. Jerry? No, this was like actually really cool. And again, I was a kid. Right. I was under. Well, so these ultraviolet books, or like, they were adult, but nudity and blood. Well, I don't remember. Blast. I mean, it wasn't like there was probably an adult content or whatever. Yeah, yeah, but anyways, yeah. I, what I remember was I had birthday money. Yeah, I mailed it. You know, because as a kid, you didn't have you didn't have somebody write you a check or something to send yeah, in. You have cash. Yeah. So oh, so you had to send. So I had my mom write write, write a, check. a check. Yeah, I got the magazine, and I remember her saying. Oh, it's five dollars. Well, it looks it looks very nice. Like right. so, she wasn't like, oh, you idiot, you spent five dollars no, no, on a no. comic well, there book. Was, like high production was, value to it. Yeah, she was she was, and that was kind of nice. I mean, as a, yeah. you look back on it, and you go, well, she could have just so this is ruined my day and said, why are you spending why five, you spend five dollars on this? Yeah. I still have it. The other one during that time frame was Inside Comics. A guy named Joe Brancatelli, maybe Brancatelli. Uh, was he in Brooklyn? It was done as a comics insider comics news type of thing, right? Before we had Comics Reader comics or journal. the Comics Journal or whatever. Right. It was this guy basically did exposés on things, and they're they're still interesting. I still have them in my collection. Yeah. Um, CC Beck did a column in there. Oh, really? And they would he would write about like. Stuff that, as fans, you wouldn't know. Like, why did Atlas Comics fall apart back in 1975? Oh, the behind-the-scenes stuff? Yeah. So, so it was it was definitely a little... Not trashy, but it was yeah. definitely behind-the-scenes people... It was the bleeding pool of its day. Kind of, yeah, yeah. And it lasted maybe four or five, maybe four issues. Oh, all right. But you, would, you could subscribe, or you could... You know, by the time some of these were out, there was already four issues out, it, so I could buy all four. Is that why, like, Marvel was publishing Voom and Foom, DC yeah, had... Foom, right, right. Bob Rizakis was doing the World of Disney right, or comics, the World of DC. Well, Marvel did... Com- uh, Foom. Marvel Mania before Foom. Yeah. Marvel Mania was, like, 1971-ish. Right. Whereas Foom, and that was run by... Sorenko. Jim Sorenko in 1974 or 5. Yeah. yeah. So, but in, in, in the early days, they were accepting the fact that the comic 
fandom was organized well enough that they wanted to have newsletters. There was a comic buyer's guide was coming yeah, out yeah, weekly. That just celebrates 50th There was the Rocket Blast comic collector was another regular. Was, yeah. You had people doing their own fanzines. Well, you had Levitz and Copyright. Comic Reader. Comic Reader. Yep, yeah. yep. And then the comic reader switched over to guys in Wisconsin. Oh, did it? Yeah. When Paul got into comics, basically. Which one? When Levis got into comics, then the comic reader was continued by Jerry Sinkovec and I'm sorry for the forgetting the other guy's name. Right. I apologize to him. But anyways, they were out of Menominee Falls, Wisconsin. Oh, yeah? So they actually would drive the latest issue of the comic reader to our local comic outlet. No yeah, yeah, we used to we used to get copies at it was kind of pre comic store, but yeah. around that time, uh, an old bookstore. Yeah, 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 it was the good old days. Yeah. And then it be, yeah. then the guy went off on his own and did this comic store called The Turning Page, kind of in that around 1975, right, 76. Right, right, right. So the, they would bring the you know 20 copies of the comic reader, drive them down from Menominee Falls to Wisconsin. Milwaukee, and we would get them on Friday with the comics. Were they interviews with artists and writers? Or yeah, and it was, really, it was like... Like a podcast. Comic Reader was like a checklist of everything coming out right. within that two-week period. Oh, was that? But it would also it have out? news. So it would be like a checklist plus news, comic No, but news. it would come out every couple weeks? Every two weeks. Really? Yeah. Oh, I thought it was a monthly. No, and I did I did wind up doing, a, like, or at least getting approved. Yeah. I did a couple covers for them. Oh wow! Over the, before my DC work, yeah, I did yeah, a yeah. Superman one back in '78, '79, or '80. That's cool. And uh, yeah, they were they were cool. They were. But did you ever go to a comic convention when you were little? I was went there to such a, a thing. Chicago had a, a monthly show at like the comic swamp meet or something. Kind of. It wasn't. There weren't comic guests or panels or anything. It was no more like cosplay. It was yeah. It was just for selling and buying. It yeah. was in downtown Chicago at the YMCA on Wabash. Oh, and yeah. it ran from probably 10 a.m. till three. 3 or 4. On a Sunday. Yeah, so yeah. we would get there, and, you know, because they'd have homeless people sleeping in the lobby. Yeah, 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 the yeah, smell yeah, of, yeah, yeah. This pungent smell of urine. Wine and piss. Yeah. No, it was mostly urine. All right. <laughs> um, but that was, that was the precursor to the Chicago show. Yeah. So they did those. Not so much piss smelling anymore. Yes, they did those shows, and they graduated to more of a presentation-type show. Yeah. The Chicago Con, I think, started in yeah, maybe 77 yeah. or something. Uh, I saw. I remember seeing ads in the yeah. magazines. Yeah, yeah. so I, I was a regular, and I went that went How that big show. were they? I mean, I mean, thousands, hundreds of people? Thousands. They were in a big room, like in a, like a like ballroom. A ballroom, like yeah. the size well, of the Mohegan the, one? Or about the, nah, not that big. maybe... They were big though. They they grew within like they were at the Pick Congress in downtown Chicago. Was it like the Bigger. Marriott Hotel? I had that one day there. And then nah, it got you know it was like that. But the Pick Congress was like uh, we used to joke about the Shining. Oh, you know, it looked the, like that. They, the like the guy at the big. bar, you know. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah, a yeah. copper bar. It was really neat oh, but yeah, old yeah, style. Yeah. And you always pictured that guy was, was probably the one bartender day or multi days. When they first started doing it, it was a Saturday Sunday show. Oh, all right. And Mike Gold was part of. I think oh, he, yeah? he ran the programming and the, you know, yeah. they would they would do the programming and stuff. And he was, I think, he had gone back to Chicago around then from working at DC. I'm wondering why was it during uh, everything was always based out of New York. 
why wasn't there any comic book publishers out of Chicago? Yeah. Eventually, first comics would right. come out. And Mike but Gold was Mike part Gold of that. Mike Gold was part yeah. of that. But how come there was ever nothing in the 60s and 70s? Well, the, I think the... Everything publishing was I out think, of New York? Well, they weren't using the mail. In other words, in the 60s and 70s, you had to bring work in, so you had to but be local. The funnier thing is Donnelly Printers a, was in Chicago, because I used to get right. stuff printed. Like, they would use Sears catalogs, because right. that was like the center of the country. Right, but the comics were published, and the comics, funny, it's or funny. Spartan, they Illinois. Yeah, Spartan, Illinois. Yeah, Illinois. Yeah. But all the production was done in New York. Right. And you had to live in New York area, because you had to films. drive or yeah. train Whatever, you had to take a train or you had to drive or you had to get in, somehow get to the offices to drop your work off. They didn't, they were skittish about trusting anybody through the mail. mail. The only guys who worked in through the mail then, really in the 70s, you you had people before this, but Alex Toth was an early one. Dan Spiegel worked through the mail for, I guess, um, uh, what was it, Dell Comics and... uh, Kirby, of course, and, and Alex Toth was early. Um, you know, once Kirby kind of established it, I think other people were able to do that through the mail and yeah. work in California. Yeah. But generally, if you're an artist, you had to live locally. Right. They just didn't trust it, which is, you know, reasonable because you didn't have copy machines. Yeah. I mean, that was all early technology. So there was no way to preserve, like, if your package of artwork got lost, you know, they'd have to redraw it. There was no backup plan, you know. Like later on, when you had photocopies, obviously there's yeah, a backup. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's neither here nor there. But I'm thinking, is that truck in front of us with the horses' height requirement for the air parkway? <laughs> we'll find out. No one knows what we're talking about. But you're not supposed to have commercial vehicles or yeah. anything well, over no, like 13 feet. Did high. we already go through the tunnel or not? We did go through the tunnel, but this thing carrying horses in yeah. front of us. And I'm thinking to myself. I don't think I've ever seen one that tall. I yeah, that is gonna, pretty tall. It's like a U-Haul. You don't put them on the Mirror Parkway no. because they're going to hit the roof. So Anyway, back to uh, Speaking about printing. the mail, yes. here's a good one. What? My very first job, my full-time job, yeah. I did All-Star Squadron. Right. I did a 12-page, I inked a 12-page preview, I think it's 12 pages, yeah. that ran in Justice League of America. Yes. Issue one was that the preview? The preview, yeah. Yeah, the All Star preview. Issue yeah. one, the first full issue. Right. There I was sitting at home, going, "Huh, shouldn't I have gotten pages?" And then I didn't hear anything. And then finally, I get a call. I said, "Hey, when are you going to send the pages?" And I said, "I never got pages." Yeah. So here's a little bit of I Mail. guess that that was an early. I think got have been the first time I ever heard of FedEx. Uh-huh. But FedEx was supposed to Federal deliver. Federal Express, the real yes. name back in the day. And they lost the first, like, 14 pages of All-Star Squadron. So the first 14 pages of issue one of All-Star Squadron. Is somewhere out there? I don't think they ever found them. So they're missing. So I had to ink off of photocopies of Rich Buckler's pencils. Oh, really? And I had to ink on vellum, which is really challenging. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you know, it's... I know vellum, yeah. It gets really wavy when you yep. ink with a... You can't really ink really well with a pen, but you no. also, if you use a brush and you fill in blacks, the page suddenly it takes on a lot of wavy yeah, uh, yeah, quality. Yeah, yeah. And there were no word balloons, so I didn't know what was going on with the story. Well, that's weird. So they had copies of, apparently they'd made copies of it with the lettering on it, so they could uh-huh. paste in the lettering Thanks, later. Yeah. But I also had photocopies that had none of Roy's correction notes on it. Oh, really? So when... 
it went back into the yeah, office. Roy was like, where's all my changes? Right. He's like, where's all my changes? Well, I never saw them. Yeah. So apparently, you know, he got mad or flipped out or whatever, but um, I think they did some corrections on top of what I did. Right. But it was very uh, very much a struggle for your, for your first, first job. Your first issue of your regular the series. mail lost your stuff. FedEx lost, yeah. That's weird. And they never found it. Never showed up. But I work through the mail, so I have to go to... Uh, all we had was special delivery. And that was an extra... You had to pay extra for it because it was supposed to so be delivered. Was that where you eventually just moved out east? No, I just... Like I moved out east because I wanted to write. Right. And I knew that I couldn't get in that part of it without having some close connection to uh, the editors. Um, that was really the impetus for that. I mean, I never had a package lost. Right. In in working on stuff, I was always... And I always photocopied. I would go to the yeah, 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 copy yeah. center. Yep. Even when the copies were not great, at least I felt yeah, like something. I had something. Yeah. And... Uh, but I, you know, you'd have to mail your job in, and you'd hope and hope for them to call you and say we got it. When's the first time you started scanning stuff and working on a computer? Um, the inks. first time I had a scanner, yeah, was in the early two thousands. Oh, that late? Yeah, because I didn't have a need to. They DC Marvel, you still had to send your pages back and forth uh-huh. via FedEx or whatever. So I didn't need to have a scanner until. A certain point plus a full size 11 by 17 Flat scanner bed, yeah. was thousands a couple thousand bucks it was yeah it was crazy and the money. first one i got was me mike zek had said oh i was i just got one no it was it was when they uh when the, the connectors changed and they went from the the scsi yes yeah, the scuzzy connector to yep. to uh usb yep or firewire Fireworks first. A lot of schools, apparently, somewhere wherever somebody was selling them, the schools were getting rid of 11 by 17 scanners. Oh, and, yeah. And Zek had said, you can buy this little adapter yep. to adapt it to Firewire. And yep. the scanner, I think it still costs something like 500 bucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was this, you know, that's a good amount to pay for something back in 19 or 2002 or three. Right, instruction. But, uh, yeah, no, that was a, it was a great great scanner but it was used and I think I used my mine lasted about uh, maybe remember seven eight years remember and I had the to big buy a new one technical digital remember Batman in the digital domain it yes. was Pablo Marcos was it no no you mean uh, Mark Goodwin had edited the there Batman was, no there was one yeah, that was, was all Batman done digital. on an eight yeah Macintosh yeah yeah eight bit it wasn't Archie. Who was no, the guy? Archie was the editor. Though. There was the, whatever the guy's name. It was. He also did an Iron Man one too. Yeah, yeah. Iron Man twenty twenty. Michael Sands. Michael Sands. Yeah. And at the time they were like, look at the technology. And right. It was all like you know bit mapped and everything. Well, you only had. There. I mean, people can't. Yeah, it's a small color palette. If you're young, you can't wrap your brain around the fact that hard drives were like one hundred twenty eight kilobytes. That's it. Yeah, I know. Kilobytes. Yeah. That's not even That's 128 not even megabytes. Email. I know. An email right. now is more than megabytes. Right. Like you could send a bad picture from a website and yeah. it's going to be 40 kilobytes. It would take you would hours have like, to Right. Get right. Yeah. That's well, always been amazing how quick the technology changed. Well, and it, it didn't jump until, I mean, it went incrementally. Late 90s. But even in the late 90s, I, I, my, my Macintosh, I had a Power Mac. Yep. I had 7100. And the Power Mac's hard drive was 200, 264 megabytes. Right. And that was 1998. 
Yep. I remember so putting RAM in my machine. Like we didn't get up eight, to... 16 megs of RAM was like, oh, wow, right. look how smart it is now. We didn't get to that gigabyte thing until the early 2000, or 2003 or four, and then it, it just went really fast. Well, what do you think about the guys nowadays just doing art digitally, like on a, dry, a wake, wake up tablet? There's no more boards. Right. Anymore. They have less clutter. Yeah, there's that. No. But they don't have but is there a, But is there something where you can just hit Command Z and undo what you just did if you make a mistake? Like, oh, I don't like the well, way that looks. Yeah, there's an advantage. You can play to around it. with the brightness and the contrast. But you can do that scanning in a piece too, and that's yeah. what I do. Like when I scan in my art, I always like edit. I do edits and digital. Because I know Garney I now just does everything digitally. Yeah, I was know? talking about that at this uh, comic show or the, the Shop store. today, yeah. It's like a, if I draw something and I scan it in and the head's too big, I can reduce the head. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, can yeah, yeah, yeah. fix stuff. I don't have to use whiteout or redraw stuff right. unless it's really hopelessly bad. Yeah. I can generally save stuff if a arm is too big or something. But is that just another tool or is that a yeah, crutch? it's a tool. It's, it's like whiteout except I know, but Xeroxing and pasting. Is it helping people that might not be that talented to get around stuff? Well, I think there's tools like that that can help you I have seen some books and I'm not going to say names where they've kind of like cheated I'm yeah. like wow that guy really but that's the draw. artist in you you're saying cheated I know and I told you I was I so know. mad when I was like what are you talking about use a light table They're like right. yeah I go I draw everything freehand right right because yeah. that's tracing they're all tools and in, 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 in a digital environment if you can like fully like manipulate a photo yeah I guess it's okay if you took that photo because you're not infringing on someone's copyright. I guess, yeah. And and all that, but, you know, there's all kinds of programs that you can use that, you know, you can you can work your way through it. It doesn't mean that you don't have talent. You no, still have to have no, talent to no, use to draw it. Otherwise, everybody it. could do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you still have to have some kind of... Do you think everybody can write a story or not? No. 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 Not that everybody's creative. That's always wonder. I've told people before. They go, "Oh, you're so lucky you could draw a picture. I wish I could do that." And I was like, "You know what? I bet if you learned and practiced enough, you probably could get it." Anybody can learn how to draw. Well, that's what I've always thought. I'm you like, can't be necessarily be good. No, but but you some, can yeah, through practice techniques and yeah, yeah. practice. It's like anything if else, you like drew dancing. right. If you drew someone's foot for the next three years, years you become good at a foot. At a certain point, you'd have to figure out how the foot works. Yeah. But, it, it, but when it comes to writing, you're saying, no, you can't teach that. No, I mean, the, the story is, you can talk to somebody and they can tell you a story and it's terrible. Are all artists good writers? Nah, probably not. Really? I don't mean it in because a bad way. Because aren't you telling a story visually in your head? Yeah, but you are, but not everybody is eloquent. Yeah. Just like not everybody... Not every actor is the same bit. Yeah, I mean, you movie, the, not every movie in a maker, movie. In yeah. a movie, for example, you could have some guy who is really good at reading his lines, but right. can't go off script. Yeah, and you can have an actor who's good at reading the line, but adding something, even a visual or yeah. a tick or something no, that I was, elevates it. I remember they would say about George Lucas, technical genius, yeah, and very good in the editing room. Yeah. But not a very good director. But didn't People, his wife edit the movie? Marsha Lucas did yeah. at awards. But he would always even say, he said he's going to make the movie in the editing room. Yeah. He would just get the raw footage. Right. And then he'd go back and then, you know, cut this and cut but that if scene he didn't, and build that. Right. That's if how he, he did, really If did. he didn't have someone like, I think Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill, both, yeah. all three were... They worked together well. But they also, 
improvised. Even if they mm-hmm. read the they line, did. They, did. they could deliver it differently. Yeah. And without that, those characters would be incredibly flat. That's what happened it would with be, the prequels? It would be Flash Gordon. No, I think what you happened... I mean, I'm talking about the, the old serials. Oh, I thought you meant Sam Jones. No, no, the old serials. It would be Flash Gordon if it didn't have that extra spark well, that the actors gave them. That's what happened. I think what he did wrong with the prequels he is cast, he hired known actors. He cast people who followed his lines and maybe they that, didn't he didn't they give didn't them know. the yeah. maybe he didn't give them the ability the ability to go no, off. No, like Liam Neeson at that point had already done movies. And Neeson and is the best part to I know. me because his character Actually, speaks beyond the words. Yeah, 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 yeah. But like Ewan McGregor's he a, a really good actor, but it He's feels kinda like maybe stilted. he didn't have the Inventive or the the crazy the spirit to go to off. Go off. Yeah. yeah, I mean Harrison Ford seems like the type of guy who wisest. would have been right. And yeah. he also, if you you know this, I know it. Yeah. Harrison Ford auditioned with everybody. Yeah, he knew, and he all became the, the guy who was like, yeah. okay, I'll read with everybody. And then they finally gave him the part because yes. he knew it. Yeah, and they never found anybody who was quite right for it. Right. So he was so familiar with the stuff that he could be a little bit of a wise-ass, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is what gave the movie its flavor. Yeah. Otherwise, it would have just been a special effects thing where you went, wow, that's really cool, but dumb. Which was a lot of the problem the other movies that tried to be like yeah, that. They just, they yeah, they didn't have... Whether the actors weren't allowed to go off or whether they were intimidated because George Lucas was... By the time he made those, he was George Lucas. Yeah. You know what I mean? When these guys worked with him, he'd done American Graffiti... But it wasn't the same as, oh, here's your living legend you're working with. Do you not, like, you know, veer from the script? Or can you do something playful with it? So I don't blame the actors. I just think, you know, whatever direction he gave them was probably a little bit wrong. Yeah. You needed that playfulness, which you didn't. Like Quentin Tarantino, is, how many movies does this make Brad Pitt working with him? Three? A couple, yeah, at least. He, he Brad did. Pitt did the, the Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. He did this movie. I don't think he. But did uh, DiCaprio ever work? DiCaprio with him did did. Oh, uh, did Hateful Eight. Django. No, Django, Django Unchained. Unchained. Yeah. He wasn't in Hateful Eight at all. I don't remember. No, I don't think so. But do you do get a, like if you have an actor who's willing to add something? Yeah. It's basically a confidence thing. Yeah. Because I'm sure there's directors to say no. Read what I say. Well, see, do sometimes it like this. I wonder, like, about when it comes to actors how they could be really good in one thing and really bad in another thing. Leonardo DiCaprio, he was in that movie Gilbert Grape when yeah. he was a kid. And he's played a special needs kid. Right. Dude, I thought he was great. I was like, yeah. oh, well, this kid's great. Then I saw him like Titanic. That was more yeah. of a pop movie. Yeah. I could care less. And I don't really remember him being... He was in Wolf of Wall Street. He was, was good, good in that. One. That was good. But what other ones really jump out at me? Well, he was... I mean, The Revenant was great. Yeah, I didn't see it. But, um... The other one thinking of... Like Johnny Depp. I always liked Johnny Depp. Again, Gilbert Grape. Yeah. But he was always good at each movie. I think what happened was once he got in those pirate movies, he got lazy and then he just started being the same guy again. Well, do you think again. he got lazy or got too much power? He got too much power. It's the same thing with Pacino and yeah. Tiro. They get to a point where they just suddenly become imitations of themselves every role. You're yeah. like, oh, now he's going to do that for the rest of his career. Yeah. And that's it. But... but do you think? I mean, I think, I think Depp was great for years, and now it's just like not the same guy anymore. Yeah. I mean, man, Ed Wood, yeah. Gilbert Grape, jo- uh, Captain Jack. Yeah. But Every you time also, you saw him, he was a different Donnie Brasco. Right. But but people, here's the thing. Like just with a comic thing, yeah. I, I can tell you just from working with different editors. Yeah, yeah. Your environment 
is really important. Yeah. Like, if you're working in a situation where you don't feel comfortable or confident... Right, right. Like, if you're with somebody that you don't know or somebody that is telling you to do stuff that's the opposite of what your instinct is... Yeah. It's hard to be great. You know what I'm saying? So you really think it's the influence of who they work with? Yeah. I think it's the environment and it's the whatever... Like, when you're Johnny Depp... Right. And you suddenly say, okay, I'm going to wear a, f- a feather in my hair and I'm going to wear... a Tonto. And whatever it is, yeah. if you have the confidence to do that and if you can pull it off, it's right. great. But if you're just doing it to do something weird... Yeah, it doesn't work. Then, yeah, you need, the, you need that... Sounding board. A sounding board that you can trust. And that's, the, I, I, I would say... So you think 100%. a lot of comic books, going back to comic books, a lot of the guys that were successful that went on their own, it didn't work because they didn't really have a good editor to keep them in line and in check, really? Or a sounding board. Or channel it. Yeah. I mean, I always thought always honestly, happen, I always thought that was the problem with Image. Yeah. I think they were all talented guys, but when well, they had own, nobody to say no. nobody overseeing them and right. saying, yeah, just like... Right. Like I said, with Lucas on the prequels, he had nobody... That was saying, "Hey, George, this right. is not a good idea." Right. He had a lot of yes men around him. Going, yeah, it's oh, great, George. That's beautiful. You're well, a genius, George. I'm and like, this is—he needed somebody saying that sucks. This is not an indictment against yeah. Burn, yeah. but when John was doing his Dark Horse stuff, yeah, he knew he was totally. In, but I mean, he's totally in control. He was on his own, and he'd earned that right to right. do that. But at the same time, I would bet that whoever he was working with at Dark Horse would have been a little afraid Intimidate. to yeah. offer a counter. You know, like. Not every idea I have is it's great. great. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you throw stuff out there, and somebody has to say, maybe that's not the best thing. Right. So if you're the top dog, yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, getting back to Johnny Depp or right. whatever, right. if you're or whatever if you're in that position yeah. and you're the nine hundred pound gorilla, yeah. Where if someone says you can't do that, I quit. I'm yeah. leaving. That's not the same as being in a creative situation where someone can throw you in. A legitimate complaint, not even complaint, but it's like, why? Well, why do you want to do a do you werewolf know, story? You in know Superman? what? Going back to movies, I tell you, every time I can see when somebody makes a mistake. Remember Bill Murray mm-hmm. riding high on all these movies and stuff, yep. doing great. Then he goes and does The Razor's Edge, right? Which is Emmer. He wanted to do a he wanted serious, to do a serious thing, right. role where he played a guy in World War One, right, right, working on the front line, right. It was a thing. Somerset mom Somerset story, mom right. story, right. Bombed horribly, and then he took off for a couple years. Right, he didn't come back for a while, and I was like, "Well, at least he got it out of his system." Yeah, but almost to the point where it ruined his career. Yeah, like, he well, he also Eddie Murphy, same thing. Eddie Murphy yeah. was riding high, starts doing the Vampire in right, Brooklyn right. or something like that, the Golden Child, right, right. and then one after another. And then he did that Harlem Nights where right. it was him and Red Fox. Right. And, Great ideas, but they didn't have. Well, but you to can't tell them see no. now if those movies. And they all tanked. But if those movies were successful, they would have said great. It would have been different. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, it's a crapshoot. Like, but what you're saying, I think of Bill Murray. Bill Murray worked with Howard Franklin. Was that a directed it? Yeah, yeah, he directed a bunch of those comedies, and they were challenging, but they're really good. It's just that he got to a point where here's a guy I like working with. Yeah. And if you want a Bill Murray movie, it comes as a package. Well... And you got to give them credit for doing that because they probably did movies that were a little bit out of the mainstream. He didn't churn out the same basic maybe stuff. Maybe that's why the directors work with certain people sometimes. Yeah. Like, they'll latch on to, like, 
Tom Cruise works well with this, right. or Tom Hanks works well with Zemeckis. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And they just, because they have a good synergy to the two. And they, right, it's like you have a friend who's yeah. also a good sounding board. Right. There's there's a lot to be said for that. I mean, I work with Carlin, Mike yeah, yeah, Carlin, yeah, yeah, yeah. and Mike Carlin was the best sounding board. Right. But Mike was also, you, you didn't send work in to him. It was like when you gave him stuff, you got feedback on it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah, it wasn't yeah, yeah. like, oh, I'm going to quit because you don't like my stupid idea. Right. It was like, oh, I wonder how I can Why, redo you, this. Have you seen that big ego stuff yeah, firsthand yeah. where people are like, fuck, you don't yeah. like my shit? I'm out of here. No, that, 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 in every business that happens. Yeah. Um, but, but like, you want something where somebody's going to challenge you and not necessarily say yes to everything. Right. Because we always think, like, oh, I really want to do this. And it's Everybody like, Maybe thinks that's their idea the is best. the best idea because yeah. they thought of it. That's no, why and I was then, saying, and, yeah. and, you know, you don't, I don't think you do good work in a, in a poisonous situation. You can right. do good work in a poisonous, like in a toxic kind of yeah, 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 situation. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can still do good comics, yeah. but it's no fun and it's not worth it because it's right. just debilitating. Yeah, yeah. But the best of both worlds is to have somebody who's questioning what you do. You shouldn't. There, I don't think any situation where you you can say every hundred percent of what I I'm gonna suggest should it's happen. Perfect. Yeah. You know, um, somebody just throwing you a, a curveball is enough to. No, you know, movies I always look at. Sometimes when I see a bad movie, I go, "Wow, what went wrong with that?" Yeah. Like where where did this fall well, off the map? And it could it was getting so good, but yeah. Well, in Hollywood, I think I always think of it as the when they start rewriting a on corporate the set. decisions. Yeah. No, when when somebody starts changing stuff after the movie's locked, like the script is bought, and then they're filming and yeah. they start changing stuff, it's like you're second guessing. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. like there's a hole in the in the dam, and you push your hand and cover up one hole, and yeah. another one springs up. Yeah. Because you're changing stuff that you you sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. But, like, for better or worse, like a Clint Eastwood movie, one thing I admire about him is he that sticks with it. he buys a script and he films the script. Yeah. And so, for better or worse... That's the story. That's the story. He doesn't, he doesn't like, screw around with it. Yeah, yeah. You know, so if it's good enough for me to buy it, that's the movie I'm going to make. And it's either going to be well-received or not. Yeah. I think there's something to that. Well, I was just watching something the other day they said... I can't remember what movie it was. They said, yeah, they bought the rights to the movie. Yeah. But by the time they were all said and done with it, the whole essence of the story was gone. Yeah. Like, the, the, the idea was there, but yeah. all the di- everything was rewritten. Yeah. But they still called it whatever right. movie it was. And I'm like, wow, that's really bullshit. Because it's screwed up. It's not the same movie. Right. But how would you like to be the guy who, who actually wrote that first script? I know. Because that's what I'm saying. They, but they just get the money, and they go, hey, that's business, and they Well, they on. buy it, and then you're not yeah. involved. No. It's not even a case of, oh, do you want to do a rewrite? A lot of times they bring in somebody new for a fresh voice. Well, I fresh... wonder sometimes with comics, because I remember in the 90s when Marvel and DC were getting along well, yeah. and they did those crossover books, and it was like... We're gonna do this. Then I heard stories like, "Oh no, it was so political, it wasn't funny." Like, this character couldn't be on this many pages. Yeah. Batman couldn't be in the Justice League one because he was doing yeah. his own story. And it was so much stuff that you had to dance around. But those to are appease everybody. It but was those like, are wow, this those is are kind of minor. No, those are minor things. Oh, I think it's a, it's different when it's it's like at that time when they did that uh, Marvel JLA DC thing. Avengers, yeah. That the was amalgam. different. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, when they did the Amalgam Universe. People had fun with it, Remember even though the there story were that, rules. Were you the one that was telling me that one of the characters that were supposed to switch for a whole year, 
like Lobo was going to go to the Marvel universe for a year, and one of the Marvel characters was going to go into the. DC. I don't know. I don't. I heard that. something like that. They were going to for one it's whole year. You heard that from maybe Giffen. Two I think it was two characters yeah. were supposed to switch for the entire year, yeah. and then they would go back to their. That own would have been fun. It would have been, but yeah. they said now they don't get along anymore, so it would never happen. No, no. Well, when when uh, but the idea took was over, like, yeah, that's it was he, just uh, before that. He and and then when Joe Casada, they be, they they tried to create that, you know. Distinguished competition. Yeah, they went a little, a little wall too far. between them. Yeah, yeah. I mean yeah. it's it's a shame in a way because I understand now it's worse because of course they're both gigantic companies. companies yeah. Well, no, I read the book Slugfest. Yeah. No, I, and, and, uh, yeah. And there was stuff in there where they were like name calling. Like, yeah. Was no, no, it was out. it was it was nasty. Paul Levitt. Yeah, Levitt's it was nastiness, and it was yeah. it was kind of not. That's not a good environment. I no, mean, no. I was like, wow, it's like worse than sports teams. It's worse no. than like a Yankees Red Sox. Yeah, yeah. And ultimately, people would work back and forth between those yeah. companies. So why drag crap through? Yeah, like that? Grant Morrison was going back and forth yeah. between the two of them. And one day he's doing Marvel, and the yeah. next day he's doing DC. No, but I mean, you, you know, there's it was no. Stupid. It was a waste of time. It's it's dumb. It's not wrestling. No, that's what that's exactly what they were trying to it sounded do. like. It no, sounded it was. Like it was they're trying to trying to, to, to taunt the other guy, make it into a wrestling yeah, thing, yeah, yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. it's totally dumb. I mean, again, none of that's creator friendly. No, no you know, it seemed just like a wasted. You would hate somebody who's doing like a book for another company. I mean, that's stupid. I know. There's no. There's nothing to be gained by that. But it also no. just is basically stupid. Well, we're wrapping it up here now because it's. Uh, I'm, we're almost home, and uh, that's it. And so, we'll do a review. Maybe we'll go this week to go see Once, Once Upon, Upon a Time, Time in Hollywood. Hollywood yeah. Right? Yeah. That's really the only big movie left this summer I want to yeah. see. I'm like, I'm done. No, that so looks, it looks intriguing, and I, I definitely want to see it. Yeah. So, and that's that. There you go. Perfect timing.